Welcome to The Hard Way with Anvil T&D, where three Australian veterans cover everything physical and mental health, business, education, and life lessons learned the hard way. Each episode, the Anvil team challenge themselves, their guests, and their listeners to ask the hard questions, acknowledge their biases, broaden their perspective, and have a laugh along the way. Now, here are your hosts, Dan, Marshall, and Nathan. Beware the dark humor and enjoy the podcast. Today, we are talking about part two of the training series. Mm. Article number two. Um, yeah, the sequel. The, the much-anticipated sequel. Yeah. This After the is, first one, you would have been on the edge of your seat. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure of it. This is the pull. The last one was the push. Yeah. Um, so if you want to hear that, jump back to the last one, whenever, yeah. whenever it is. Classic tale of <laughs> yeah. good and evil, light and dark. If you <laughs> want to skip this one, listen to that one and just imagine the opposite of what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> that, and then it's, that's all you have to do. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, this is uh, from February this year. So like I said in the first one, the training series is a series of 12 articles that I was doing uh, throughout the course of this year. I'm on the home stretch now, I just finished number 10. Um, that's about the bench press. It's uh, super exciting, very long. What you, um, how many words did you say? It was like 6.8. Over, over 6,800 words. Yeah. <laughs> so, Are we so. going to split it up into two or? No. no how dare Yeah. And for people that can't read like me, we will eventually we'll do, a do a podcast on that. Yeah, so it'll probably be less words. Read yeah. it. <laughs> so you can read it with your ear holes. Yeah. Challenge accepted. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the the Paul article is basically uh, part two to the first two articles. Um, I started with the push. Uh, it's a training concept for the most part. Uh, it's very broad brush stuff. Um the reason I wanted to do an article on the push and then subsequently the pull is, I guess, to give some people um, a more holistic idea of what their body is capable of. Um, I think most movements that you do on a day-to-day basis can be broken up into a push or a pull. Um, Your muscles generally uh, contract or relax. That's their main function. Um, And, you know, when you're using the anterior side of your body, like we were talking about last week, you will predominantly be doing pushing movements. Uh, when you use your posterior side of your body, so the back of your body, um, that's what we're going to talk about today. You're probably going to be doing the pulling movements. So um, I guess it's just uh, an attempt to simplify those kind of com- concepts and, and write a couple of articles that anyone can read and uh, I guess gain an understanding of you know, what their body is kind of up to when they go into the gym and they do a certain kind of exercise, whether that, you know, they subscribe to your traditional sort of push-pull splits where it's obviously the name is a big hint. You're doing either a push or a pull or you're doing, say, a squat bench deadlift program or even uh, something a bit less traditional, maybe Olympic lifting or just like a, a bro split like mm. chest and arms. Well, I was going to say... Chest um, and tries, back and buys. Yeah. The way- Zero legs. <laughs> Because, yeah, the, um, it really is a concept and I think a lot of people use the term push-pull or one or the other, yeah. um, whether they're describing their own program or just in general speaking about them. Yeah. Um, but what those actually entail, like um, the other day we went through the push and broke down that down a bit and saw what actually was what. Yeah. Um, and this article is good because it not only does it explain what some – common pulling movements are, but it even gives you some ways to train the pull yeah. um, better than most people probably do and how to integrate it into what you already do so you don't have to make radical changes. I yeah. Think. Yeah, I think um, we might as well start from the top, make it drop. Yeah. Yep. So what is a pull? Uh, so this is in line with the same, uh, in line with last time's article um, and last podcast, basically when I talked about the push, we were talking about an extension. So, um, you know, I, I described it as your arms, your hands and your feet just like shooting away from you. The old starfish. <laughs> yeah, if you were to push everything at once, everything, your know, limbs would just shoot out. Um, the the pull is the opposite of that. It is bringing things towards you. So it is the opposite of an extension, which in, I guess, physiological terms is a flexion. Um, 
the most simple way I think I can describe it is the bicep curl. I think most people can picture doing a bicep curl. Um, or I think in the um, in the article I described it as just opening your fridge at 2 a.m. That's some... that's one of the examples you get, yeah. <laughs> for some cheeky leftovers. Yes. <laughs> a naughty pull. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or trying to retrieve the uh, blankets from your significant other. Impossible. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I said you need a double bodyweight deadlift to pull that shit off. <laughs> Um, yeah, so um, I guess what I wanted to address is one of the common misconceptions. Um, you know, a lot of people think of, I guess, the deadlift as a pull. Um, that's, you know, the first thing that comes to mind when they think of, a, you know, your traditional, your big pull. Um, the deadlift is actually a lower body push. Um, for a movement to be a pull, a lower body pull, your legs need to come towards the center of your body, um, which is pretty difficult to load. Uh, mm-hmm. I do go into the that in the article and I say that it is quite hard to load your body in a way that involves pulling your feet towards you. Um, and I do explain a couple of ways that you can go about doing that, which we can, we'll talk about later. But mm-hmm. um, basically, to make it as simple as possible, a pull is where your you know, the ends of your limbs are coming as close to your body as possible. And all of the muscles that are involved in that are generally the muscles that create flexion in the body. Um, I guess they're mainly on the back side of your body, uh, mainly on the posterior side. So all of your upper back muscles generally contribute to what's known as scap retraction, which assists in the pull. Um, your erectors, um, glutes and stuff assist with hip extension and, um, and then hamstrings as well create knee flexion. Um, all of these will assist you in doing pulling-like movements. Um, the one that is on the, the front of the body, which is sort of an outlier, is the biceps. Um, they're on the front of your arms and they're the prime movers in elbow flexion. So they're the ones that do most of the work when it comes to pulling. Mm. Yeah, cool. I um, think it's a fairly Yeah, that yeah. explains <laughs> yeah. what the pull is. Yeah. Um, where does the, the pull originate from? Yeah, so I just touched on that a little mm. bit. Um, basically we're looking at the posterior chain. Um, now I don't want to say that the posterior chain is responsible for all pulling, just like we wouldn't say the anterior side is responsible for all pushing. Um, it's more of a generalization. Um, but the reason that I am distinguishing between one and the other is more from, uh, a balance perspective. Um, the reason why I wanted to touch on the push and the pull in two separate articles, but those two concepts were the first concepts that I chose for the year, is because I really wanted to emphasize uh, the point of balance in people's training. I think a lot of people get hyper-focused on all the mirror muscles, all the stuff that you can see when you look in the mirror, um, and then they lose the focus on the backside of the body, which these muscle groups are... They're responsible for stabilizing a lot of movements, for, um, you know, the eccentrics on a lot of your big movements. Uh, people get a, very focused on all of these pushing movements. They love to bench press. They probably hate squats, but they know how to do them. Um, you know, when you're walking or running, there's a lot of push involved. You can tell that when your foot strikes the ground, you're pushing, cycling. Um, all of these movements have a very identifiable push, uh, so people can quite easily train them. I think it's very easy to, you know, lie down on a bench press and do a few reps without thinking too much about it. And you're training your pecs or your tries or whatever, and you can look in the mirror and see the sick pump. And and it's easy to identify, um, you know, the cause and effect of this particular training. But when you're doing a lot of pull movements, a lot of the results are on the back of your body. You can't really see that in the mirror. Um, unless you're doing the old booty pop, I guess. Yeah, which not, and I th- you did mention a couple things um, in this segment, I believe. One, yeah, is that not a lot of dudes do booty pops. Yeah, um, it's, it's harder than you think. It's harder yeah, than you well, just make it look. It's an acquired skill. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely not something you're just born with. No, yeah. maybe um, it's Maybelline. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and so there's a lot of, I'd say guys in particular, that have a hyper focus on a lot of anterior muscles. I think, yeah. um, and we've spoken before, or at least touched on before, kind of like modern standards of uh, what's attractive and what's not. Yeah. And that for women is lean, generally trending towards some more posterior stuff. Yeah. Um, to put it 
<laughs> for bluntly. <laughs> for bluntly, yeah, for widely, I guess. Um, but you also mentioned, and this is probably more important for more, just not just training balance, but also just everyday um, application of training the back, is that a lot of people, especially nowadays, with the extended periods of sitting down, whether that's in mm. office chairs or in their recreational time, um, is the tightening of the chest and um, weak upper backs, especially. Yeah. Or lower backs. Um, and training back is the best way to deal with that. Yeah. 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 Um, and I think, you know, this is highlighted by lots of the great powerlifting coaches. Um, I don't think I've ever seen anybody, uh, you know, talk about training the hamstrings more than Louis Simmons. That guy mm. is like obsessed yeah. with that shit. Um, to the point where, I mean, it's it's almost ridiculous that someone would put so much emphasis on the hamstring, but, um, but the reason that he has this focus on that particular muscle group in the legs uh, is because it seems to get neglected in most other training protocols. So when we look at an experienced athlete or a junior athlete or just your gen pop client, um, you know, they tend to have some kind of exercise experience. I mean, in this day and age, it's very rare for somebody to grow up and not have played some kind of sport or have done something physical at some stage. Or at least been exposed to it. Yeah. Um, even if they haven't, even on that rare occasion where they haven't had much exposure to physical activity, the body learns day to day what it's going to do and what it's not going to do. Like Dan said before, um, a lot of people are spending a lot of time sitting down uh, at laptops or computers or on the couch watching TV. On the Discmans. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Eating their TV dinners. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they develop a very anterior dominant physique. The, the chest tightens up because it learns that it never really has to stretch out. Uh, the, the shoulders become, they get a very limited range of movement. The upper back becomes extremely weak. The lower back, in turn, becomes extremely weak because a lot of the, um, a lot of what it does is the stabilizing when you're standing up or when you're moving or when you're carrying load. And if you spend a lot of time sitting down in a chair, um, and almost every single chair nowadays is built with lumbar support because you know it's designed to be like ergonomic and posturally supportive yeah, or whatever. They have like standards they have to meet. Don't yeah, they cars and um, safety ratings. The problem with that is we are just teaching all of these muscles on the back side of, side of our body that they don't really need to do very much. Um, so, you know, you could spend all day in the best fucking chair possible for your body and then get up and walk around and all those muscles that have just been inactive all day are going to take a little bit of time to switch on, maybe in that time that it takes for them to activate, um, for the neural signal to get to those muscle groups. Uh, maybe you pull something or tweak something or you have to pick something up off the ground and, and you do a little bit of damage or you experience pain because your brain is going, hang on a fucking second, we don't do that anymore. Um, we like sitting down, go back to that. <laughs> uh, so you end up with a body that is very good at tightening the hips and keeping the knees flexed and having a very tight rolled in upper body. And you also end up with a body that is very bad at doing anything with the backside. Um, let's say that somebody that does a lot of that stuff decides they want to get fit, um, they want to get strong, they head to the gym, uh, they're probably going to start doing the things that they find they're good at. And the stuff they're good at is probably anterior dominant movements because that's what they've been doing for so long. Um, they probably find it really fucking hard to do a lot of the rowing movements. They probably find it pretty hard to coordinate a hip hinge um, which is interesting. That's something I saw when I did the yoga instructors course is a lot of the guys on that course can't do a proper hip hinge because mm. their neural connection to that group of muscles just isn't firing properly. Like throwing it back. Yeah, same with when Nathan's doing bent over rows or we've got a couple of clients doing things like bent over rows or good mornings or RDLs. Um, the hips don't want to hinge as much as the lower back wants to round um, because the hips are really fucking tight so they don't know how to relax. And the lower back is weak, so there's a shitload of flexion there. Um, and this is super common stuff, and that's why I wanted to talk so much about the pull, is training the pull is predominantly about balancing out all of that shit. Um, because chances are you are weak 
on the backside of your body. Um, if you want to be strong in the posterior chain, you need to spend a significant amount of time training it. Um, I don't think anybody these days is naturally strong in their posterior chain. I think they're just because they sit down so much. Um, so if you want to be strong there, you have to train it. And I don't see a lot of, like when I walk into a commercial gym these days, how many reverse hypers do you see? How, oh, those like, things are like... Literally, I don't think I've ever seen one. Yeah, yeah. I've yeah. seen one in <laughs> one gym before, um, and that was on the sunny coast, and it was like a veteran-owned um, powerlifting and bodybuilding gym. So, like, yeah. obviously, they're going to have every possible... Gym, yeah, yeah, every possible different piece of equipment. But even, I mean, I saw it there, and I didn't recognize it, but nobody ever fucking used it anyway mm. because nobody else knew what it was. Um, and the reason is that's because people tend to gravitate towards one, the stuff they're good at when they're trained and two, the things that they know and they see in media or social media or online. And most of the time you're seeing people bench pressing shitloads of weight, squatting a lot of weight and probably deadlifting a lot of weight. And the deadlift out of all of those probably has the most posterior focus. However, because most people have an anterior dominant physique, they will probably make those imbalances worse by doing exercises like the squat and the deadlift with an anterior focus. So I remember when we started training, um, you know, the more of a powerlifting style training, um, I read a lot of stuff from Westside and Elite FTS and their focus is on an absolute shitload of posterior training. And we're doing squats where the knees aren't going further than the ankles. Um, a lot of hamstring focus in the squat, um, you know, sumo style deadlifts. Mm. And learning to do that, I just had hamstring pain for months basically because, yeah. you know, doing all this stuff was allowing my hamstrings to catch up to the rest of my body. Um, I learned that my deadlift, which had been my strongest lift for a very long time, was predominantly just me flexing my lower back which isn't necessarily a bad thing if you've got a strong lower back, but continuous flexion of the spine can do damage to the discs. So it's something that you would you don't want to do that much of. Um, ideally, you want to make a, more of a hip hinge, which I just was not capable of fucking doing at that point because my yeah. hips were so tight that they refused to move like that. Um, so I guess when we talk about where the pull originates from, I want the focus to mainly be on the back side of the body uh, with, you know, a couple of unique exceptions. The biceps are obviously the main one. Um, the hips are, I guess, kind of anterior and posterior because they run all the way around. Um, and then uh, even though some of the posterior muscles do, um, I guess, their movement is extension, uh, they play a very large role in a lot of the pulls. So... Um, we look at the glutes, which they're responsible predominantly for hip extension. Um, but training the glutes is almost essential for strong squats, strong deadlifts, plus a really stable uh, walking or running um, uh, technique. And then hamstrings as well. I mean, Louis obsessed with them. And for rightly so, uh, most people's hamstrings are underdeveloped compared to their quads. So. Yeah, well... It's unsurprising that some people get back injuries when their back muscles, the only thing they're used to doing is keeping them upright, is yeah. their posture. Like when your back muscles are only strong enough to do that and yeah. then, you know, some people are just in an office, all they have to do is bend down the wrong way and they can hurt their back. Yeah. So as soon as you apply any extra load onto the back, there's yeah. an injury. Especially yeah, for once people start to get older and they've got so, so many years of built up you know, yeah. incorrect uh, posture or bending over or whatever it may be. I think you combine that with, um, you know, bone density. Mm. And as people get older, if they don't do resistance training, their bone density goes to shit uh, because their bones don't have to be strong because their bones only ever have to support their own body weight, which yeah. as they get older, they're probably experiencing muscle wastage. So they're getting lighter and lighter. Yeah. So their bones are getting less and less dense. Um, so yeah, it's no wonder, you know, you get micro fractures, hip fractures, things like that. Just and Especially old people falling yeah. over and uh, breaking bones. It's yeah. a massive issue. Um, I've heard that a lot of hip injuries can occur in older people, not because of the impact of falling over, but from their muscles contracting to oh, yeah. protect themselves. Right. Um, and it literally pulls the bone apart because their muscles at that point are stronger than the bone. Yeah, well. Yeah, okay. yeah so 
Um, and then knee injuries as well. So if you're somebody that has, uh, you know, knee problems, hip problems, lower back problems, um, shoulder problems, and neck problems, um, a lot of that can be, uh, I guess, a product of posterior weakness. So, um, you know, it could be a result of you spending so much time sitting down and at the computer and watching TV and stuff like this, uh, which you can't really help because a lot of jobs are like that these days. Uh, uni, you're probably on your computer a lot of the time. Um, you know, maybe you're a uni student who's been struck by COVID and you're sitting in bed. Tapping away. With your fucking laptop in your lap. Yeah. Like, chest, like. <laughs> How many people that uh, couldn't go into their job anymore didn't actually have a computer desk and a computer chair at home and just yeah. sit on their couch. Sit on the couch. <laughs> I know. Still when, are. Yeah, I know. When I sit on the couch, I turn into like a human banana. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and my like natural S bend of the spine is more like a unnatural C bend, <laughs> um, which is not great. Um, but it's the spine is designed to move like that. Uh, the problem is when your body gets more used to it being like that than it does in its normal stacked position, uh, which is the case for a lot of people that are spending, you know, eight plus hours sitting in the same chair, but only a grand total of maybe one to two hours walking around every day. Or upright in general. Yeah. 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 So it's, um, it is quite easy to see looking at from that perspective um, where, you know, a lot of these imbalances and injuries can come from. If I, even if I do train regularly, for example, um, you know, let's say I train three times a week. I go to like F45 or something. So I've got 45 minutes three times a week. And that's like... Two hours and 15 minutes. Yeah, fuck all time compared to my eight hours in an office chair at work. Um, even when I'm lying down in bed, my body isn't load-bearing. So my muscles are relaxed. So they're not getting any stronger um, this is the time for recovery, but, you know, they're probably processing shit and, um, you know, if you don't train more than that, maybe you're experiencing muscle wastage or, um, you know, maybe they're just not active. Um, and then, you know, maybe you go for a walk a couple of days a week. Um, you're probably walking for like a grand total of an hour. We're looking at like, you know, maybe five hours of load-bearing standing up um, or training and compared to every other hour of the fucking week, not load-bearing, uh, potentially being in an unhealthy position. Um, so training the pull is, I think, even more important than the push because people gravitate towards the push. They understand it. They know it. They can do it. It's quite easy for them. Um, their muscles are even primed to do that shit because they're used to this range of movement, this kind of plane of existence. Um, however, they're not used to the opposite. So they will either avoid it or they won't train it as hard because they're not as good at it or the range of motion is garbage because they just think that's how far they can go so they don't go any further. Mm. Um, and I think at one point I even say that my guideline for most people is to train it twice as much as the push. Yeah. So, um, And I think that that pretty much stands for almost everyone that I've come across is they should be doing pulling movements twice as much as they do pushing movements. Just, you know, a desperate hope that they balance out everything else that they're doing the rest of their life. Yeah, I know we try and follow that ratio with our training. Mm. So if we have a, um, say, just a bench day, yeah. we do bench. And generally it may even just be light band work of doing yeah. face pulls. But, yeah. And then another thing that is back orientated. Yeah. But it's trying to kind of almost undo the um, the bench work and it's um, yeah. tightening the chest. Yeah. Um, well, ideally we want to, I mean, for general population, you want to create as neutral a physique as possible. Mm. You, know, you want... Um, the back to be as developed as the front, knowing what we know that we've just talked about, that most people are starting with a more developed front than a back. Think about how much harder you need to work on the back stuff just to bring it up to the level that the front is already at without even starting training. Um, so, yeah, that's that was one of the main points that I wanted to get across in this article is um, if you take away nothing else, just train the pull 
twice as much as you do the push. Yeah, and if you also give people how to train it too, which I think is important mm. um, because, yeah, it's all great to say you should train the pull twice yeah. as much, but beyond, say, rows or most yeah. likely bent over rows, yeah. not, not a lot of people are very familiar with a lot of other movements. Yeah. Um, yeah, we talked about that later. We, I guess we kind of touched what's the pull good for. Yeah, and I do say in the article... You could, we could, I could spend the entire article just talking about what it's good about, like mm. what's good about doing pulling movements. I basically just have spent the past fucking how how long has it been? Like twenty minutes talking about why you need to be doing more pulling movements. Um, and you know, Dan provided a good example um, and an interesting context of trying to undo the bench stuff. So, like on our bench press, and we train as powerlifters. Um, our main training focus for our training week is uh, bench and squats and then uh, deadlifts uh, done for technique. Uh, so we're spending a lot of time doing pushing movements. The, the whole training program is almost geared around really heavy pushes. Um, so to counteract that, to balance everything out, and then to make sure that we're as strong as we possibly can be, we need to somehow make our the posterior chain, our backside of the body, even stronger than the front um, because if it's not, all of those heavy pushes are going to lead to injury. Uh, so when we do a bench day, it might look something like whatever heavy bench press variation we've got for that day and then we immediately follow with either a heavy tricep or a heavy back exercise. Um, a lot of the time it's a, a supported row variation Um and then that's done for at least as many reps, if not double as many reps as what we just did the push for. So we might only spend like three sets on that row, but we're trying to hit, you know, 20 to 30 reps where we might have only done 15 or 10 total for the heavy stuff. Um, and just by doing that, we've doubled the back work to as compared to the front work. Mm -hmm. um, and then after that, like Dan said, we're looking at things like, um, you know, banded face pulls, which you can do for extremely high volume. Um, and the great thing about a banded face pull is it's very unlikely you're going to injure yourself trying to do like 30 to 50 reps of it. Um, you're probably going to achieve, you know, activation of everything in your upper back with band work um, with very little risk of injury or overload. So... Um, you know, that's an example where you can use just two exercises and just go to failure and build the strength that you need to make sure that those pushes aren't overcoming your body. Um, yeah, at the start of that, you said you could discuss it forever, but one particular reason was a strong pull can turn an athlete from good to great. Yeah. Just because of how many... I'd say it's been a um, learning point for us, Yeah, especially while... Especially with our focus on powerlifting, but let's say it extends to everyone that trains consistently. Yeah, is um, it's kind of one of those things where it's always more upper back. Yep, upper back can never be strong enough. Yeah, or I would say your back in general. Yeah, um, and a lot of the times we're doing things where you wouldn't even realize how important the upper back or the sorry, I should, the back is in general. Mm. Um, and then we've been able to identify that the back was the weakness, and it's in things we don't realize. Like I was just saying, um, like squatting. Yeah. Like I know for me personally, I've got a tendency to lean forward. Yeah. And if I don't um, do a squat pristine in yeah. my pr pristine technique, it's usually my upper back that'll fold over first. Yeah. So and one way for me to, or two ways to fix that, just better technique or when that fails and it does sometimes because you're under duress, yeah. is just have a stronger upper back so I can hold that. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, the reason I say it takes someone from good to great is um, a good athlete is generally pretty good at doing the movements. Um, when I look at a runner, uh, for example, they're pretty good at running in general, um, but they're good at the anterior part of running. They're good at pushing their foot into the ground. Um, but the, the flip side to that is how much time have they really spent uh, building the strength on the thing that absorbs the shock, the thing that brings the foot back up off the ground. Um, and when I talk about that, I'm talking about hamstrings, glutes, um, hips, and then upper and lower back for supporting uh, their posture. Um, the reason why 
you know, Louis is so passionate about the posterior chain is he might get an athlete in that is, you know, doing pretty well, a college level athlete. I um, mean, he talks about a lot of them in his books that he writes. Um, they'll come in and they're pretty good, but their coach has said this is their limit. They can never get any better than that. Mm-hmm. And then in a few weeks, um, you know, six weeks at Westside, these athletes are running faster or lifting more or doing better than they ever have before. And um, there's not a lot of secrets to that. Um, I think the biggest mystery that he solved is find out what they're really fucking bad at and then train the shit out of it and you're going to make them better at the thing they're good at. Um, And it seems like most of these athletes are really good at the anterior side but maybe not so great at the posterior side. So by default, if he just trains the shit out of their hamstring strength, if he trains the shit out of their lower back, their hips and their upper back, then he is going to see an improvement because these are just areas that have been ignored for so long. Um, you know, it's the same with, you know, powerlifters, for example. Uh, when we see a powerlifter who traditionally squats high bar um, or, you know, benches a certain way, maybe an extremely wide grip or, you know, they're not getting a lot of lat engagement or maybe they're not getting a lot of uh, lower body tension. Um, even with the deadlift, they're getting a lot of rounding in the upper back. Um, usually they're getting these things because the anterior side of their body is strong enough to lift whatever weight is coming off the ground, but the posterior side is not. Um, And you can usually grind your way through a heavy lift like that, but you're going to see, you can visually see where those weaknesses are, are occurring. So, you know, the deadlift is a great example. You can see a lot of people when they try and pick up something really fucking heavy, the first thing that starts to round is the lower back because the glutes are trying to push through, the quads are fucking working their ass off. They're easily strong enough to extend the leg. But the back muscles, all of the muscles that are designed to keep your body as rigid as possible, um, they are struggling because they're not used to holding on so tight for so long. So the best way to get them stronger is to train them more. Um, like Dan's saying, there, there is no such thing as a strong enough upper back. Um, there is no such thing as strong enough erectors. There's no such thing as strong enough hamstrings or hips or glutes uh, because as you get stronger, those, you know, as my squat gets better and better, my quads are automatically getting stronger. Every time I squat, my quads are doing a lot of work. Um, but I may not be using as much upper back as I should. So I then need to go and train the upper back. And if I don't, eventually the upper back is the thing that's going to let me down. Um, when everything goes to shit and you're under a lot of stress, like Dan was saying, the the weak part is the one that's going to give in. And mm. with a lot of squatters, you can watch them, their chest caves, because the muscles that run the length of the spine are just not used to holding on tight enough so they can't keep their spine in the best possible position. Yeah, and so you can... Ex- um Another example of that, um, probably less obvious though. Um, most people probably don't even know how important the back is for, say, something like benching. Yeah. Yeah. And I understand that's a um, pushing me when we're talking about pull, but um, on the topic of posterior muscles and how important they are, yeah. Um, the bench is the back is used a lot more in the bench than people realised. And if people don't know how to use it or it's weak, then you'll it will start to show. And yeah. if you know that, even if you're not the lifter yourself, you can identify that in others to assist them too. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's um, – and ju- after just writing a lengthy article on bench pressing – Emphasis um, on lengthy. <laughs> lengthy, yeah. yeah. It's girthy. Yeah. Um, it's like a Chinese dragon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, when you watch a, uh, an expert bench presser train, um, they are doing a lot of row movements uh, because – and this is a cue that you might hear if you watch these guys train or you see these their training videos or something like that. Um, they are looking on the descent of the bench press as they bring the bar to their chest. They're looking at rowing the bar towards their chest rather than just lowering it. Um, the difference is the amount of control that you have over that bar. Uh, the difference is how much of your upper back is engaged in that process. Um, if you just let the bar come down, chances are you are not in control of that weight. And if you're not in control, you have no say on where that fucking bar is going. Um, You have no say on the depth. You have no say on when you start to push back up again um, or a pause. You're basically just hoping that it doesn't crush you. Um, And so 
a rowing movement, someone that can uh, row a significant amount of weight to their chest repetitively uh, under control and ideally explosively is someone that is going to develop large, strong muscles that can support significant amount of weight, amounts of weight for a bench press. So being great at the bench press, sure, is about training the bench press a significant amount, but it's also about training everything that supports a heavy bench and all of that stuff is on the back of your body. Um, the biggest bench presses in the world have extremely strong lats. Um, they have extremely strong anterior delts. Um, all of the muscles that pull their scaps in and down, really fucking strong. Uh, they have really, really strong erectors and hips and quads as well uh, because they're capable of holding a shitload of tension in their lower body while they lower you know, upwards of 200, 250 kilos to their chest. Um, and they do it under control. So people like that, they're not just, you know, spending all their time bench pressing. They're spending a, a shitload of time working on their back, mm. um, doing pulls, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess, yeah, the next part to go into is how can you train the pull? Yeah. Just pull. Just, yeah, just <laughs> do it. <laughs> just go out to the club. <laughs> uh, you made a funny thing. <laughs> It's even in the article. It's right, oh, it's yeah. right at the end. Um, yeah, so training the pool, um, once again, I break it down into upper and lower body. Um, the upper body one is pretty easy to visualize. Um, once again, just like the push, we have our three general planes. Um, we have arms straight up, you have your arms straight down, and your arms straight out from you. Um, these three planes will activate similar muscles but in different degrees so generally if we're pulling from the top down uh we're activating mainly our lats um, they're responsible for that shoulder rotation they're responsible for bringing the scaps down um, those muscles are trained with movements like the heave is a great example or the pull up um or i guess even lat pull, lat down. pull down is uh, is another one um, decline rows, stuff like that. So anything where your hands are above your head and you're pulling down towards you. Um, and, I mean, that one is pretty easy to load as well because you can just do body weight pull-ups and a lot of people find them very challenging. So if you feel like you're not getting a lot of lat engagement um, or if your lats just aren't up to scratch, just do more pull-ups. Um, if you struggle to get a full body weight pull-up, bands are a great option. Um, you just attach one of those big bands to the bar and wrap it around your knee and it'll make the pull-ups doable but still challenging. Um, you could also do decline heaves or I think decline or inverted row it might be called. I uh, um, would like your hip, feet are elevated. Uh, where your feet oh, are just reverse. on the ground. Yeah. No, and so it, it just, row. yeah, it just looks yeah. like a, a heave but your feet are now on the ground and you're just pulling your upper body to the bar. Um but generally, if you want to get good at pull-ups, you have to do lots of pull-ups. So the band thing should be the priority. Um, but, yeah, when I watch the best bench presser in the world train, um, he is doing a lot of fucking lat pull-down. Um, he can do pull-ups, but he can load the lat pull-down more than his body weighs. Um, so it's a great way for him to train in that plane of movement uh you know and push himself to overload or fatigue or whatever um so that's a, a pretty good movement to include if you're looking for a big bench press or just really big fucking lats um and then the next plane is straight out from you so we're looking at seated rows um a bent over row is another good example any kind of chest supported row anything where you bring your hand from straight out towards the shoulder or towards the lat um i prefer the supported row variations because they don't put as much pressure on the lower back. And when you're doing a lot of squats and a lot of bench and a lot of deadlifts, um, sometimes when you run a row really heavy and really isolate your upper back, you don't want to be worried about your lower back and your hip hinge and stuff like that. Uh, so if you've got access to a row, uh, you know, a supported row, that's great. Uh, if you don't, we just put like a bench on a couple of elevated boxes and barbell row to the bench. Mm. Um, so that's a pretty easy fix for that. Um, another good option is dumbbell supported row. You can just do that on an incline bench or... Yeah, I was going to say unilateral dumbbell stuff too. Yeah. Um, 
are great. I've always really enjoyed those and yeah. um, found them really useful. Something to be careful with the unilateral rows is that you don't experience too much rotation through the spine. Um, the more that you rotate through the body, the less of your back you're actually using. Um, so I guess one way to avoid that is if you are using a chest supported row, for example, and you have your hand on both handles and you just do one, then you are less likely to twist. Um, same with if you're on a supported row and you're holding the dumbbells in each hand and you have to stabilize one while doing the other, you're less likely to twist. Whereas you do see a lot of people uh, when they put their hand on the bench and just do the one-sided row, yeah. they may end up twisting mm. this way, which is less scap retraction and more biceps. So um, we're not actually getting the activation of the upper back that you might be looking for in that exercise. Uh, but yeah, once again, unilateral is great for balance. Um, anything with dumbbells, awesome for balance. Um, but yeah, and then the final one uh, as far as upper body goes is generally an upright row uh, or the shrug. Um, we don't do this too often uh, because generally your traps are overused anyway. Um, the upright row probably has more practical application if you are looking at building strength for maybe a clean, um, mm. maybe, uh, or a snatch. Um, I think if you are looking at doing that movement, it should be in more of an Olympic lifting style. I think a lot of people that use the upright row uh, probably use a range of motion that is not entirely healthy for the shoulder or the elbow. Um, I think, you know, snatch cleans. Um, is that the one where you just bring it up like that? Yeah. Yeah, um, there's a kind of, I'm starting to forget some of the Olympic variation yeah. names, um, but there was a great one where it's like a, it's basically like a snatch shrug. Um, yeah. It's where you might, in the Olympic lifting context, they might load up a one RM snatch weight, put in snatch grip, bring it to their hips, and but then stop there and just kind of raise it as yeah. if they were going to shoot it up. Yeah. yeah, it's a variation to train for them to like train without having to do a full snatch. Yeah, um, and, but it is a great one. Yeah, um, Olympic lifting in general, they it's so much trap and back work. Yeah, yeah, um, and yeah. they're very good at it too. Yeah, so I mean, I, I would say avoid the upright row. In general, I think a lot of people just puts your elbows and shoulders in uh, probably not the most healthy position. Um, if you like ollie lifting, there's a whole bunch of variations in the, I guess, that plane of movement um, where you're going to build your shoulders and your traps. Um, if you aren't an ollie lifter or if you don't have room in your program to accommodate some of those lifts, things like farmers carries, um, you know, heavy loaded dumbbells, ca dumbbell carries. Uh, or even anything where you're isometrically holding something at your chest is going to accommodate a shitload of the upper back, um, including the traps. So those kind of carries can build a very strong upper back, a very strong um, you know, trap area without putting your shoulders in a compromised position. Um, so I would recommend doing those movements. And I, I wouldn't call them necessarily a pull. They're more of an isometric hold. Uh, but they are activating the same muscles that you would use to pull upright. So um, that's win-win, in my opinion, those ones. Mm. Um, lower body pull, like I said at the start, this is um, this is an interesting one. And I think the first thing that I say is you really do need to ask, um, what do you, I want to achieve with this? Um, if I am an explosive, I guess, track or field athlete, um, then explosive power in the hamstrings and the hips uh, that is definitely something that you want to achieve um, and you can train that without, I guess, attaching weights to your ankles and like trying to <laughs> lift them up, whatever. Um, you know, we might be looking at something like loaded box jumps or, um, or even uh, sled walking. So stuff like that where you are under constant tension, even... Um, you know, walking on an ATP, which is a, a belt squat, um, that kind of stuff is going to build those muscle groups quite well. Um, and we're obviously not loading the feet and trying to lift it up. Um, another way to, I guess, um, load the pulling muscles for the lower body is with slower eccentrics on squats. Um, that's another thing that I, um, I definitely advocate is you are going to have much stronger hamstrings and hips and glutes uh, if you can control the descent of heavy squats. Um, 
the best way that I've found to train it and that we've found to train it is with um, box squats and just controlling the descent so that uh, when you land on the box, it's like you might be sitting on eggshells. You're trying not to break any of them. Um, the last thing that you want is to hit that box hard um, and, you know, basically shock through your whole body. When you do that, you are losing a lot of the force that you're trying to keep inside your body. Uh, all that tension is going. So um, if you want to build, you know, strong hips, strong hamstrings, um, you know, one of the steps is really slow eccentrics or just, you know, heavy weights with a lot more control than what we normally see people do. Um, on top of that, you can also do hamstring curls or banded hamstring curls. Um, and then some of our other favorites are the reverse hyper. If you can access one of those machines, they are yeah. absolutely fantastic for you the You can do your own. Um, your own. If yeah. you've got, you can put some, if you've got some boxes that you can lay on, you can stack them up so that when, if you were to lay it so that your upper body was on it, yeah. but your legs were hanging off and they don't touch the ground, um, you just need that height and you can put it up against, say, a pole or something that you can grab onto so you don't yeah. fall off and then it's just, raise the legs i saw i'm pretty sure it was on west side he's just done that on a workbench yeah <laughs> just up on a just put his yeah body in a bench yeah um, that's how as long as it's stable yeah say, yeah it was yeah. like a fixed like woodworking bench yeah, yeah we used yeah. to get some weird looks at one gym where we would have we would do it on those um cushioned ones yeah, the box. we'd stack them up one person would have to put weight on the other end yeah and yeah and people looked you weird until um, I started doing it. Yeah, until yeah. we walked in, the, they were fucking doing yeah, it. Yeah, we're trying to exactly doing wrong. it. But yeah, um, we have like your forehead up against my face. Yeah. Like that'd be like, just Real give, friendly. You a, give you a little head, forehead kiss. Um, another great one is the GHD. Um, you should have one of those in your gym. Uh, you should be using it. Uh, it's a great way to train hamstrings, glutes, and erectors. Um, and then, you know, if you don't have access to those, as long as you include things like, um, you know, really controlled. RDLs, Romanian deadlifts, so straight leg deadlifts and good mornings, uh, you're probably going to be training that area of the body. Um, what you want to do, what you want to focus on with these movements is a stretch through the hamstrings um, and a really, really tight lower back. So you really want to keep it as rigid as possible through the core. Um, yeah, we're coming into the last 10 minutes. Was there um, anything to be read through? You said you finally would cover off on the king of all pulls, the deadlift. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, which, so that's in quotation marks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the reason I did that is the deadlift, like I said at the start, is, yeah, not, um, is not a pull. It's a push and a pull, um, and it is a, predominantly a lower body push. So ideally, a stronger lower body pushing muscle group is going to lead to a bigger deadlift, so, not um, pulling muscles. Yeah, a lot of people can just train their squat and also their deadlift go up anyway. Yeah. Um, I am going to do an article and we will do a podcast on the deadlift itself um, and we can get into, you know, whether it's a push or a pull or what you should be doing to train it. Um, but I think overall you should be doing things like straight-legged deadlifts or good mornings, RDLs, that sort of stuff if you really want to train the pulling muscles on that side of the body, uh, the traditional deadlift is probably going to be a bit more quad dominant than you realize. Yeah. Okay. Uh, for the end, do we want to go into common injuries and imbalances? Um, I think I did touch on this at the start. Uh, the main injuries and imbalances that you are dealing with here are your weak or sore lower backs, your tight neck, um, weak upper back, the inability to retract your scaps, um, any particular knee injuries probably leading to instability in the hamstring or a weak hamstring. Um, you know, I'm not a doctor, so I can't just instantly diagnose you if you've got knee pain that it's probably your hamstrings. But, I mean, hot tip if you're not fucking training your hamstrings and you're doing a lot of squats, there's probably an indicator right there. Um, just look at how you're training. Look at the stuff that you've been ignoring for a long time. Start training it for a while and then... If those injuries don't go away, then probably go see a doctor. Um, apart from that, you know, if it's sore, if it's weak, or if you've been ignoring it, focus on it, and that tends to be the backside of your body. Um, oh no, I've lost it there. We had some uh, comments in the chat. Yeah. Uh, before, uh, pretty much at the start, I think Nani Monte said. Two leg days, two pull days, and one push day. Yeah. When we were talking about the break, when you should um, 
it depends on as much. Yeah, it depends on your training goals. Like if you are going to be a powerlifter, you probably need to spend a significant amount of time training the squat movement and the bench movement um, because they're pretty technically heavy. Um, but in those days, you should be trying to double the amount of back work that you're doing on the that you do on the front. So I'm going to have a bench day where I try and lift some fucking heavy bench press weights, but then I'm going to double the reps and do that amount for my back. You know, it's obviously going to be lighter work. I'm looking to build some mass and some strength there, but um, yeah, to really work out those imbalances, I'm going to spend a lot of time rowing. Um, basically, other than that, Dusty just said, I look like I'm about to fall asleep. And <laughs> you do a little bit, I, yeah. I looked over and I was like, Nathan needs a pillow. Struggling to keep it. You didn't even bring a bloody coffee. Yeah, I know. Rookie error. I was not prepared. Yeah. I have had three today, though. So. <laughs> True. Um, but, yeah, I don't know if there's anything else you guys want to touch on. Well, hey, Dusty. With, yeah, Dusty, Tay, and um, WPS yeah. official gave us a wave. Thank you, guys. Yeah, sick. Um, no, I think, you know, if you are looking at a bit more information into the pool, head over and read the article. Uh, it's training series two. I'm up to number 10 now. Uh, the next two will be done in the next two months. Um, they will, I imagine we will get to the podcasts in the next two months as well, the rate mm. we're going, um, which is exciting. It means that all this information will be in article form and podcast form before the end of this year. Um as far as training the pool goes, uh, for your average human being, try to do it twice as much as you do the front. Um, I would recommend for most people try and do a lot of pull-ups. Um, if you can't, then use the bands. Um, and, you know, if you are doing a whole pool day, um, just try and focus on that perfect technique, that really good range of movement, um, because those pull muscles are probably weaker than you think they are. So, you know, drop the weight, stop deadlifting so much for your pull day and um, and spend a bit more time looking at range of movement, looking at muscle activation um, and just trying to, you know, equalise the imbalance between the front and the back. Yeah, cool. cool. Yeah. Sick. Right. Done. I think we covered everything. Covered. Fuck yeah. Cool. All right. So thanks for the guys that are watching live or and joining the chat we appreciate that if you watch it later we appreciate that too uh we'll have this along with all our other podcast episodes up on spotify and apple music it's called the hardway and podcast and on youtube our channel is animal training development uh appreciate anyone that checks those out um otherwise we'll be back tomorrow at 12 30 australian eastern standard time for a, another podcast episode over lunch lunchtime yeah so, lunchtime podcast yeah Love i'm exotic hawaiian shirt fridays yeah. yeah, it's going to be funky. All right, see All you right. then. Cool, enjoy, the, enjoy your evening. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The Hard Way with Anvil TND. This is all made possible by listeners like you, so thank you for your support. If you enjoyed this one, hit the like button and subscribe so you never miss a show. Make sure to visit our website, www.anviltd.com, and check out some of our articles and other podcasts. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, any positive ratings really help. Or if you simply tell a friend about us, that would help us out too. If you have an opinion on something we talk about, we would love to know in the comments. Be sure to tune in for our next episode. And remember, train smart, train hard.